This device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. Goes backwards, forwards. Takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel. It's called the carousel. Okay, hello and welcome to the Carousel Podcast. I am here today with David Pinson, a writer for Zero Hedge, which is a very cool publication in our space they we can talk about the genesis of zero hedge but they cover finance but from an ultra based perspective and you see david's articles at the very top of it i know he's a guest contributor he's not tyler durden himself but you're a guest contributor for for zero hedge you featured me a couple times for my bud light piece and you also run something called Portfolio Armor, which is a financial information substack and website. Now, you, it seems like you've had some great success there as well. So welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Ajik. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, the, the substack actually started at the end of last year, beginning of this year, and that's uh, got off to a good start. And I, I owe my uh, success there partly to MailChimp, I would say. Well, that's weird because isn't the whole point of Substack to isn't Substack a direct Mailchimp competitor? Exactly, Mailchimp raised their prices in December. They're like in a double them, and I wasn't getting much business from them anyway. So I'd been contacted by there's a, a person who works for Substack that's been reaching out to financial oriented people to get them to uh, to write for them, and I figured what the heck I would just start a Substack and because you could move over your mailing list. And just do it as a way to cut out the 50 bucks a month I was paying MailChimp. And then it, it kind of took off, which is nice. Yeah. So it's like, not only are you not paying MailChimp, you're <laughs> getting money, money yeah, yeah. The, the other sure. way. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. How much are you charging per month? For the Substack, it's $30 a month currently. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're going high-end, high-end uh, people. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like the website is eighty dollars a month. So I thought I would charge something that I would have something to offer that's a little cheaper. But actually, okay. in some ways, the the Substack is is better in that we're doing actually like I'm doing trades. So, and you can just see what trades I do, and you can follow them yourself. So there's actually value there. Like we've we've made some money on some of these trades, and kind of a lesson I was real late in learning is people are more interested in. I guess greed is more powerful than fear when it comes to, you know, investing. Because Portfolio Armor, the website, was originally started as a way to protect yourself against, like, the kind of crashes that happened in 2008, 2009. But I think there's some interest in hedging, but there's more interest in, I want to make money. So that's kind of more of the the angle with, uh, with the substack. Like, we've been betting against banks and some stuff. Doing opportunistic things, opportunistic stuff. So when you say you're doing trades, what does that mean? Uh, what, I mean, I obviously I, I, know what a trade is, but what, what do you mean you're doing it like live well, or you're, yeah. What I do is um, I place trades and I let you know what the trades are and then you can do the same thing if you like. So for example, 
the last few weeks we've been doing earnings trades, which are we're doing certain options trades where if a stock outperforms earnings, you can make money on it. If it you basically predict what's going to happen, and if you're right, it's a chance to make money, and you can bet on things going up or going down. Got it. Okay, so you're you're just like doing it transparently, and people can jump along with you if if they want. Yeah, and some of these option strategies are neat because you know ahead of time what your maximum upside is, what your maximum downside is. So there's no surprise. Like worst case scenario, this is what you're going to lose. Best case scenario, this is what you're going to make. Here's the break even, and you know here's exact price I'm doing it. Here's where I'm getting out. That kind of thing. Yeah, I see. Okay. And so people are kind of like jumping on and, and uh, so overall, do you manage people's money or no? No. Okay. I you're just offering, you're offering information and you're offering um, like, as you're saying, hedging for maybe the more popular approaches kind of, is that? Well, we have a website portfolio armor and there's also an iPhone app and both of those you can use it to tool to help you hedge. So let's say you have a stock or even if you want to hedge against market risk and you, and you say, I own whatever shares of Exxon or Apple oh, and I'm okay that. if it drops 10% or 20%, but I can't handle a drop more than 20%. The Portfolio Armor website and the app will show you exactly how to do that with no jargon. You'll just type in the symbol for Apple, AAPL, 20%, 20 for the 20%. You'll click a button, you'll show your number of shares and it'll give you the exact hedge to buy. You know, wow. buy ten contracts of this, whatever, and you're all set. So you um, can buy it, and shorts. then on the it's, it's, it's showing you shorts to buy or options. The hedging is done with, excuse me, with options. So, um, yeah, yeah. There's two ways of doing it. One, one is um, with put options, which is that's the simplest way. And then there's a way. If, in some cases, it's too expensive or it's more expensive than you'd want to spend to hedge with put options. So you can use something called a collar where you're buying put options for protection and then you're selling call options above the price of your stock. And that, that offsets the cost of the puts. In some cases, actually, it offsets more than 100% of the cost. So you're getting a net credit. You're kind of like getting paid to hedge in that case. Wow. So yeah, so you basically have an algorithmic system for hedging your large positions up to a certain point. Correct. Or that's like algorithmic. Yep, uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Damn, that's awesome. So you are like a bona fide legitimate finance guy. So it's actually great to have you on here to talk about some of this woke crap. But sure. uh, first of all, can you just talk about zero hedge? Like how did you, were you a zero hedge reader? Um, how would you even describe zero hedge? Like, it's weird because in, in our space, Zero Hedge, I've been reading Zero Hedge forever. I read the yeah. Wall Street Journal, even though I'm totally like a culture guy, not a finance guy. But I just yeah. find that uh, watching the money and watching the money news is much, you're just getting so much less bullshit. Um, so yeah. I've always loved Zero Hedge. Um, and he took a turn from being like pretty central to like being very based, if I remember it correctly. So can you just give us like the history of Zero Hedge and then how you got involved? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure of the history. I, as far as I know, I think it started right after the uh, like the crash 2008, 2009, if I recall correctly. And I think for a while they were getting kind of, they were sort of like perma bears, Tyler, where they were, 
they were bearish. And as the market kept going up, they kept that. Since I've gotten started with them, I, I think it was in uh, 2020, they seem more balanced. I mean, the fact there's a guy who I contribute to his his own site occasionally, a guy named Tim Knight. He runs a site called Slope of Hope, and he's also um, a contributing editor to Zero Hedge, and he's complained that they're ultra bullish, which they're not. I mean, I think they, they present different perspectives. So um, as far as I got, how I got involved with them, I used to write for a site called Seeking Alpha. And after about 10 years, I kind of got like banned from Seeking Alpha. So I contacted Zero Hedge and they were open to me contributing. And then um, things seemed to have worked out from there. Why did you get banned from Seeking Alpha? That's a good question. I, I think it was for politics. Like it's not, they're not as political as, as Zero Hedges. But to the extent they are, they're they're really kind of set in their ways, and I don't think they agree with my. Like I had a I had a, a blog on there in addition to the the regular articles, and they I don't think they they like that. And then, um, but the other part of it was, the, the uh, I I do more options oriented kind of stuff in my investing, and they're not really that big on it. It's um, I've gotten to the point where I'm more about looking to just succeed in trades and be completely agnostic about about trying to prove I'm right about stuff. And, and that's seeking alpha. And I think a lot of other financial sites are the opposite of that because people are buying stocks and it gets to be like sports. It's like you, you treat the stock like it's your sports team, you know, like maybe you're a Lakers fan and you're going to like, no, the Lakers are going to beat the Warriors because of this. And you're not looking objectively. I mean, they may, they, they look good last time, but People just, they get really kind of invested, no pun intended, emotionally in the thing. And they're trying to defend it. And to me, it's like, who cares? It's, you know, you're either right or you're wrong. You move on. Okay. So, and you feel like Zero Hedge is a little more open to that kind of thing? Like, They're they're open to what I write. Um, there are some people, it seems like on Zero Hedge and some commenters who are, it's just like a one one solution thing. They're really they think the the dollar's going to blow up, everything's going to blow up, so we're just stacking precious metals. There's some guys like that, and those guys, it's it's difficult to get through to them. But fortunately, there are other people who uh, are open to other things. You know, being more opportunistic. I mean, there's always something that's going up, something that's going down, and you can if if you aim right, you can profit from. It. All right, so let, let's get straight then into uh, some of this Bud Light stuff. So what, you're a real finance guy. You understand how companies go up and down and and uh, all this, um, the reality behind balance sheets. And, and uh, you know, I saw today that the, the Bud Light CEO came out, or the Anheuser, AB InBev CEO came out and said, well, overall, the Bud Light impact is about 1% of our global, I don't know if it was revenue or global balance sheet or whatever it was. Like the impact was 1% globally. So yeah. uh, what interested you in this Bud Light situation and and what is your take on um, woke marketing in general? I think it's, what interests me, I, I think it's just bizarre. I mean, the whole idea, like you mentioned in your, you had a great post about it. It just defies all logic that they would take 
such a kind of lunch pail brand and put a tranny on can and think that was gonna that was gonna help them. So I mean, people that the the that would appeal to aren't drinking Bud Light. So just the bizarreness of the situation uh, is what attracted me to it. And then what was your the second part of your question again? I'm sorry. Well, what do you th- what do you think about this movement of woke marketing in general? Like, do you do you think I, the big question that I always get is is yeah. there a financial is there a financial justification for it or not? I really don't think so. I mean, in my Bud Light post, I mentioned one that someone suggested, which was that the wokeness wasn't really aimed at consumers. It was aimed at regulators. And the idea was that the regime is is pro-wokeness. So if you want to acquire new companies, they're going to be more favorable to you for that. And the, the previous example that came to mind for me was one Steve Saylor wrote about years ago, which was during the mortgage bubble. There was a company, um, well, there was more than one, but one of the sticks in my mind that had woke marketing was Washington Mutual. I don't know if you remember, but they used to have uh, these commercials where they showed like these these caricatures, these these old white guys in suits, and they were like the stuffy bankers. And then they had a cool black spokes guy, and he was the Washington Mutual. And they were like, you know, they were cooler, and they're we don't care about your credit score so much. And then they, of course they they were able to gobble up other banks because of this, and then they eventually went bust in the mortgage bubble. Big surprise. But I don't know. ABM Bev is so big right now. I don't know if they would be able to buy another major beer company in America. So I'm not sure the uh, appealing to regulators was the, was the was the logic behind it. I really don't think there is any logic behind. It. I think as and um, I mean just anecdotally, I don't know if you, you look on Twitter, you see people take pictures. Of, uh, of like their local liquor stores and you see the, the refrigerator case with all the Bud Light boxes. The, the, the cases are still there and the, and the cores is empty. So I don't think there's logic behind it to answer your question. What about these like ESG scores that, that New York Post wrote about? They, you know, is is it because they want to get cheap loans from like huge private equity banks or international development banks? or whoever is giving these these cheap loans and they're basically, um, they're getting scored for their ESG consciousness. The New York Post mentioned that in one of their pieces of coverage on this. I don't know if you've heard of that. I don't know if AB InBev needs loans, but ESG has another benefit, which is, I think it's kind of blown up right now, but the idea was, it's basically a racket. The idea was they would, kind of rate companies on their ESG score and then portfolio managers and institutions like uh, pension funds could could show that they're woke by investing in ESG companies. Um, but I think the whole thing is, is, I mean, one example was, I think recently Exxon became an ESG company and I think Exxon's a great company, but these are the same people that are into so-called climate change. And I think what happened was Exxon did some woke stuff around the margins that that got the ESG score. Unless I'm totally imagining that, but uh, long story short, I think it's another case where there's there's not a lot of logic behind it because I think ultimately people want to get returns, and if ESG stuff is underperforming, it's not going to last. Well, but isn't it kind of that they're going to like force it? You know, like like aren't they going to? So first of all, isn't there ways to get taxpayer money through this? Like, isn't 
the income a lot of a lot of these global like for example take ab and bev yeah how much of their actual operating revenue is just from sales of their product it, it isn't it kind of like a complicated system or maybe direct sales at retail stores like don't they probably have massive contracts with various organizations and things like that i mean maybe I can tell you for sure without looking it up up, but my guess would be most of our money comes from the bottom. I mean, it's pretty straightforward business. It's just sales. Well, maybe Nike is a better example then, because here's the question: Why? How Nike's tripled down on this woke shit? You know, the 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 trend, the whatever. I don't even want to say the name. Whatever that person, they he was also in Nike commercials. So like, is it is it possible? The that one Nike you mean the just, guy from Bud Light you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, and and when well, we all know Nike's long doubled down on on woke shit. So like, how come that hasn't affected them as much? Again, without looking it up, I don't want to just cut out and look at the numbers. I, I couldn't say for sure if it's affecting them or not, but I I don't see the logic in it. I mean, um, I'm just thinking of there's a Gatorade commercial recently where with the, the the giant obese woman doing the yoga. I just don't see how that sells it. I mean, I mean, you know, marketing better than I do. Is it possible? Just any, any attention is good attention. Any publicity is good publicity. Cause I'm not sure if people are talking about it, No, but that's not it. You know, yeah. a lot of people say that people all the time say, Oh, you know, they, they balance these things. They measure these things and they don't fucking measure these things. I mean, you know, they, they pay for, from my personal experience, there is all kinds of strategy money that goes into data reporting. So that'll be like Kantar. Have you ever heard of Kantar reports? No. So Kantar is one of these like data organizations that feed into the big marketing arms of everything. And you pay like 50 grand a month for Kantar. Okay. And they give you a bunch of data supposedly from surveys of surveying people. I used to read these Kantar reports I never found a single thing in them that was worth anything. So I'm, I'm, I don't, and anyway, they, they wouldn't be super granular. Like the only insights you'd get from a Kantar reporter, like Gen Z tends to be more like open to gender fluidity. Like you might get something like that in there, but you would never get anything that's like really concrete. Um, there was, there's that old famous saying about advertising, right? That um, I get half of my business from half. Of, I don't know which half. You don't know advertise to right. spend. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, that's the holy grail of, of advertising. And it's it's still. But isn't that day. less true in, in the age of social media? I mean, can't, isn't there more granular tracking of it? Online? Absolutely. There's more granular tracking. But the thing is, like, if you could do it perfectly, you'd have arbitrage, right? I mean, if there wasn't any mystery, if, if, social, yeah. if social media ads work the way that they say they work, there would be, it would be absolute you'd be able to predict exactly what you would make on any given thing. Right. I mean, you'd be able to just perfectly predict we're going to do Yeah, There was a, there was a scandal, I think a few years ago with Facebook where it turned out they were fudging a lot of the stats. Oh, they totally fudged the stats. Yeah. And there was a guy, I forget his name, but he was, he was all over with that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I've been deep into this stuff. It is utter BS. It's all fucking fake. The, the, the numbers are completely fake. Like to the core. This could be another, another, area where maybe Elon Musk could um, could innovate and kind of make a difference with Twitter. I'll say one thing I've noticed since he's taken over 
is I've seen better promoted tweets. Like, like every week I see something like, oh, that looks really cool. I want to buy it. And uh, that wasn't the case before. Well, but that's also because he's being abandoned by, isn't his advertising revenue like down 70% or something? They they totally pulled the plug on him. Yeah, it might be. I think a lot of them were, yeah. were pulling the plug. But um, yeah. I mean, that, that goes back to your question before about what's the logic behind it. Were they really making money for the Twitter ads or were they just supporting this whole ideological infrastructure? Right. And, and this is the thing that it seems to me that they don't really make that much money from the DTC stuff. You know, there, there's a couple, some brands, you know, like drop shippers and a lot of these brands you see that'll be like, you know, the wallet, like the man's wallet, you know, <laughs> like, or, or like pills yeah. of various kinds, you, you know, you've seen these ads around. Those people have kind of mastered the parameters of DTC. Like they've figured out how to make the margins work. They know exactly yeah. how to structure those ads to make it so that it works for them. But most social media advertising that I've seen for big, big brands really isn't about converting sales. It's more about like the brand itself, right? It's not like they're saying like, buy this thing, you know, it's really not about yeah. that. Because yeah. I think they're Ooh. just really dependent on their you know, they're very dependent on their uh, in-store operations, I guess. Well, the idea I had for Twitter years ago was to sort of it, it sort of facilitate, like, there's already, like, native commerce within it. It's not really just people. You, you'd see stuff where someone would say, I've got two extra tickets to see whatever this concert, and I can't make it because I don't want to buy it, and people would buy it, but things like that. Or somebody would recommend a book in a tweet, happens all the time, or a movie. There ought to be a way where you could just click on that and buy it. And then a portion of the of the revenue goes to the person recommending. I think that would be huge. That's just money left on the table. In my you mean opinion, like a secondary it. market? Kind of. Just sort of a, a way to make it really easy to, to monetize the, the, the commerce that's already happening and also the recommendations already happening on the site. Yeah, I think that was like, some... I mean, you probably follow that guy. Uh... Sorry, no, go ahead. No, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. Oh, you know that? Oh, well, like, for example, Mystery Growth, you know that account? And he, he sells the books, but he also occasionally has his thread about his favorite movies and he nukes them. I mean, why isn't there a way you could click to just rent that movie or buy that movie? You know? That's a good point. That's a very yeah. good point. Like anytime you mention anything, here's how to here's how to buy it. That's a That's a very... You should give that to Elon. He he would maybe be yeah. interested. I mean, in that. That, that, that's or I, I wrote an article. Uh, uh, I'll send it to you after this if you want to maybe put it in the description or something. It was actually a seeking alpha article. Another thing I mentioned was um, was betting. All the time, people are talking about sports on Twitter. They're talking about betting or politics. Why isn't there a way you can just like like I, I did just like honor bets with people on the 2016 election, and I'll, like I'll bet you a hundred dollars this is gonna happen. There should be a way for Twitter to get to get some piece of that. Did you win? Yeah. <laughs> so you were you were I, I won like one bet for example. Well, yeah, like one one bet for example is with a Hispanic, you know, kind of like non never Trump Republican, and he was thinking that the, the Hispanics wouldn't go for Trump because uh, uh, you know the Mexican comments. I told him I was like, I bet he gets a higher percentage of the Mexicans than than uh, than Romney did, and he did. And I want yeah, to Yeah, you were damn right. That was actually, yeah. funnily enough, I knew there was a couple things that told me he was going to win. One was the Israel thing. 
uh, Israel came out as like 87% pro-Trump, like in the weeks before, because they voted, like the citizens there voted first or something, I forget. And, okay, uh, and I was like, okay, that's huge. And then I was, and then also it was talking to a couple Mexican working class people in LA and both were like 100% pro-Trump. And I was like, yeah. there, there's like shit that we're not hearing about, you know, at all. And I, I was pro, so I was super happy about it. But yeah, and I knew, I knew something was in the water. Uh, well, I, so, yeah, you know, related to that, in exchange with uh, Darren Beatty on Twitter today, you know, Darren Beatty, of course. Of course. And for those who don't, he was, I think he was a speechwriter for Trump, wasn't he, in the Trump White House? I actually don't even know what he was. I know what he is now, but I I, I know he was in in the regime, but I don't know yeah, what he. He runs Revolver now. Yeah, which is kind of like the new. He calls it the new Drudge, because it, Drudge it sort of went drudge. lefty, and mm. uh, whatever it did. What's up? Mm. Sorry, you're frozen. Oh, you're, sorry, your face is frozen. Hello, I can hear you. But you're just your your uh, your video is frozen. Oh, is it frozen now? Oh, there you are. Uh, yeah, you're good. Just keep talking. Keep talking. Yeah, now you're good. You're good. You're back. Oop. But anyway, so Darren Beatty worked in the in the Trump White House. Brilliant guy. He did a PhD, I think, on uh, Duke in political philosophy or something. Uh, undergrad in math, I think at University of Chicago. Um, but he was talking about, well, he, he, he retweeted a video of, of an interaction where a black guy punched a white woman on a bus and he said, the U.S. is a shithole country. And I told him, I was like, you should tell Trump you've got a deer to run against black crime. Because that is the $100 bill line on the sidewalk of American politics. I mean, this is kind of what, uh, what Bush Sr. did in, what was it, um, 88, I think. With Lee Atwater, he had the uh, um, the Willie Horton ad. Willie Horton was a guy for for young fellows out there who was uh, a murderer, I think. And Governor Dukakis, Massachusetts, had a program, believe it or not, where he would let these guys get out for free weekends. So he let Willie Horton out, and Willie Horton, uh, I think he raped and killed a woman or something. And then it's just the most preventable thing. So uh, Lee Atwater, who was this. Uh, He's dead now, unfortunately, but he was like a political operator. He put together an ad showing a literal revolving door and like saying that that Dukakis was, was just letting these murders out, which was literally true. And uh, Bush came back from, I think, 20-something points behind to beat him. So it, it's just, it goes back to the Hispanic thing you're saying, because that's the one thing that's going to get in these Hispanic folks, because they don't like that kind of problem either. Totally. I mean, I, yeah. I, dude, I, I'm 100% with you, man. I, you're actually the second person I've heard recently with this exact same idea. Somebody else told me this exact same thing with this same election. What's his There's name? Literally... What was the act? Uh, who's, who's, who's name? The act you were talking about. The Lee Atwater. Lee, Lee Atwater. Lee Atwater. Somebody just Lee said At this exact At same yeah. thing. I think you're 100% right. Did you hear yeah, this he... thing that happened uh, in, in Venice in here? So No, tell me about it. it. Here, of course, we have a Soros DA, this motherfucker, Gascon. Yeah. And yeah. uh, a young guy, like 15, drunk, high, ran over a woman and her stroller in Venice. Oh, I think like, I remember this one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The video yeah. is any mother, any woman in the world who watches this video is yeah. just 
you cannot watch this video and not be like absolutely appalled and furious. The woman survived, she survived right? Yeah. Okay. He survived. So the guy didn't get charged. He got charged with nothing. He was out in like six months, even though he literally just basically killed this woman. He just got basically lucky that she murder, didn't actually yeah. die. Sure. And he's right back on the streets in six months because of this fucking yeah. guy gets gone. But then you know what happened? What's that? He got killed. Somebody took him out. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I wouldn't, it's probably her family. I mean, you think so? Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, okay. That's. I mean, I'm not gonna say anything, but if that happened to my wife, you better believe that motherfucker would be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't care. You could put me in jail for the rest of my life. That motherfucker would be dead as well, soon I, as know, he think, was out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what you're seeing there is there. You know, there's older forms of crime prevention. Yeah. Predate yeah. the state and that predate police, and if the police don't do their job, you're, you're going to see that again. Dude, I mean, 100%. somewhat related. There was. Yeah, no, sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's, no, it's like another guy who's uh, great on Twitter, you know, extra dead JCB. Yeah, you know, dude, no, Bennett. Okay. Bennett, um, Bennett's Flactory. Bennett, Bennett, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bennett. He's been on he the show. Oh, he's yeah, been on okay. here. Yeah, I'll yeah. check that one out. Yeah, he's he's, yeah. he's one of my favorite uh, followers on Twitter. He's a man. Brilliant guy. Yeah, he's, he's a great man. guy. Um, yeah. But but he had a great point about how uh, with, with the case in New York with Daniel Penny and, and Jordan Neely, He's like, they keep talking about they want, you know, community policing. I mean, this is an example. They, they don't like it here. He's like, um, he's like, as a moderate, he said, I, I like the idea of special trained professionals handling this kind of thing. But you guys didn't. So here we are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, dude, and it goes back to, you know, I had a, a viral thread on this. It goes back to the case of Bernie Getz, you know, which was sure. the, the sort of foundational case. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where are you? Can you say where you are? Yeah, sure. I'm right outside of New York City. So, uh, oh, okay. I was going to say, like, right, right in this direction is um, the airport where Jeffrey Epstein got arrested, Peterborough, yeah. airport, which is like the closest airport to Manhattan. Oh, so, uh, yeah. 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 I was going to say, it looks like there's a map on the wall of New, yeah, of New Jersey there behind you. But, uh, oh, yeah, there you go. That's where you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, as a New Yorker, so you must know the Bernie Getz thing, obviously. Of course, yeah, 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 and, and yeah, yeah, and that to me is just a perfect example of the, the, such a populist. That was like one thing that everybody agreed on was, you know, support of Bernie Getz during that phase, even though they tried to throw the book at him and they just failed. You know, two different yeah. juries let him off because people were yeah, just yeah. like, "Fuck that, man!" Like, I don't think this guy did anything wrong because I have to go through this shit every day. You know? Yeah. What, what people forget about that period too is that in uh, in 1994, which is a little later, but that's when the the Clinton crime bill was passed. The Congressional Black Caucus was in favor. Of it. Like people totally forget that it's like totally memory hole. But black leaders were in favor of it because they were victims of the crime too. Yeah, I mean, it's in the whole crack situation. So I, I really see, think there's zero downside, particularly for Republicans, in in pushing tough on crime policy. I think you're totally right, man. And it's like now, yeah, now the Republicans. I don't even think you'll get less of the black vote. But even if you did, I mean, that's 13 percent versus how could, 87%. How could you get less than you're getting now? <laughs> you know, they're not going to get less right, than now. Right, right, right. You know, it's yeah. not going to make any difference. Yeah, it's like, right. a, yeah, they have absolutely nothing yeah. to lose from it at all. I, I think you're totally right. And and this is yeah. this is what this is why the current Republicans are such cucks because. They're just like, well, 
we'll happily lose it all as long as no one calls us racist. And then, you know, well, at least nobody called us racist, but we lost every single battle ever forever. You know, it, it, it's just like, yeah, it's yeah, completely well, you know, two, two things I would say about that. I, I think not only would it help in the general election, but I think it would help Trump against DeSantis. Not that he looks like he really needs much help at this point, but I, I like some of the stuff DeSantis has done. I mean, how can he not? Like with education, getting rid of wokeness and stuff. But then I see a video that like that white nine-year-old girl kind of getting humbled on that, on that bus by these by these black guys. Or the, you probably saw the viral video of the, like the three hundred pound black dude that like beat the crap out of. I don't think he was a teacher. I think it was like some aide or something that was like some woman that was designed to babysit him. She took away his video game, and then he just like was like stomping on her head or something. Yeah. Like when yeah, I see I that, I'm thinking. That. Or another example is Miami Beach every year. I mean, that's like yeah. you could schedule it. And you could prevent it. And DeSantis hasn't done a damn thing about that. So it's great that you're fixing the textbooks. But like if your kid is getting to help you out of her on the way to school, that just doesn't even matter what's in textbook. The, the first thing that matters is your safety and the safety of, the, of your loved ones. And if, and if the government is dropping the ball on that, then it doesn't matter what else they do. Well, but Miami is way better off. He did get rid of the Soros DA. He didn't he? He somehow sought against, fought against the Soros DA and got him removed. He's done a lot of good stuff. Yeah. I'll give him that. But the Miami Beach thing, I think that's kind of on him that it happens every year. They do the spring break, and you know that's just that's just a total zoo. You know, I don't know happen. if it's on him, but he, it's definitely like uh, <clears throat> well, if, definitely if you know what's happening. Yeah. If you know what's happening, you could activate the National Guard. You can maybe deputize a whole bunch. I think Florida has like auxiliary police where they got like a dollar a year. People yeah. have to carry a gun and, and, and you know arrest people. You just just totally overwhelm it and arrest like all of them or as many as you can. Next year, it's not going to happen. I think a lot of people are like, yeah, we don't want to go to Miami Beach. They don't put up on the ship. We don't you can't put jump up on cars ship. in the middle of the street tournament. Yeah, I mean, I think you could do that. I mean, I will say Miami is having been there recently. Miami is so much better off already than I mean, I'm in LA, right? So nothing's worse than yeah. here. I mean, San Francisco, San Francisco, Portland, maybe. Yeah, yeah. San, San I was going to mention San Francisco too. Yeah, San um, Francisco, Portland, and uh, <clears throat> and Seattle are worse, but there's something. LA is just so fucked in so many ways. Like it's, it's just such a fucked place in, in every way. So, uh, I just being in Miami, ah, it's just like such a great feeling because you're just not, it's already so, so much better than it is here with all the, you're right. It's like, um, so much of it actually really does come down to everyday enforcement. You know, the, the, I was talking to an Armenian guy, my my mechanic here, and he was like, you know what? You know what? I know the, and he was super. This is the thing. You talk to any blue collar person, they're ultra based. No, not a single yeah, one is yeah. liberal. Yeah. So he was a working class Armenian mechanic guy. He was like ultra, ultra fucking right wing. And yeah, you know, but we, of course, like get along. And uh, he had this example of he was like, you know what? Like when I, I grew up in East Hollywood, there was no homeless people at all there. Now it's like, you know, endless tents, endless tents. And he was like, you know what really changed it was gangs. It used to be like the Korean gangs versus the Armenian gangs for those streets. And neither of those gangs would have let a homeless person sit there for a second. They would have said, get the fuck out of here. Like, these are our streets. Like, you're not going to set up a, 
You're not going to set up a fucking commune in the middle of our fucking street. Like imagine yeah. that happening in like an Italian neighborhood in, in Manhattan. Never. They would oh, never. Before it was gentrified. Yeah. My, my sister lived in a part of Brooklyn that was um, the name of the neighbor escapes. It's probably gentrified now. But this is like before. It was just a pure Italian. There was like no crime. Like no one worried about stuff. Like that. No one fucked them out. Exactly. And and that's what yeah. that has truly been what's lost is like there's no pride. Like the men who walk around every day don't have the pride to say fuck off. We we they've been so cucked, so mentally cucked and mentally like made afraid that they're afraid to like they're like, "Oh, if I say something mean to that homeless man, uh, you know, I'm going to look like well, I'm, I'm bad. I'm going to look mean. And that's not it, good. It's like, and then, yeah. okay, you don't look mean. And then now your kids have to walk through needles every day. It's like, that's what well, look you, at the situation well, that happened. It's in a curtail charity. I mean, you probably remember this. There was a case in, uh, well, there's another case in San Francisco, as I mentioned, I'll get to it after, but there was one a month ago or something where there was a guy who I think he had an art gallery and there was some homeless woman who would just like do drugs and like shit right in front of this thing. And she wouldn't leave and call the police and they wouldn't get whatever. So he just took out a hose and he just started like hosing. And then they would arrest him. Yeah, and it's like, right. Like, it's like, I wouldn't be doing this if you were doing your job to get rid of him. I mean, the idea, and that's actually one interesting idea that Trump had in, um, you know, it's funny, get a little distracted here. I apologize for, for digressing. No, no, gets, no, no. It's great. Okay. He, he gets criticized sometimes for, and by, uh, one person that comes to mind is that Pedro Gonzalez, who has got to be on the DeSantis payroll. I hope for his sake he is, because he's just constantly anti-Trump. So one of his criticisms is that Trump is kind of more red meat. You know, he's not really the, the policy or anything. The reality is Trump's given these speeches recently that are policy oriented, and they get ignored. The stuff that gets people's attention is the red meat stuff. But one of the, the policies was this idea of building these new cities in America. Which on the one hand seems kind of silly, but on the other hand, it's like, you know what? Maybe the way San Francisco, New York, Los Angeles are going, we could start from scratch and you could have an example of how to run a place that, that makes sense. Because what doesn't make sense is having the most expensive real estate in America colonized by vagrants. It just makes no sense. And you can be a humane person and think that these people should get should get healthcare and they should get drug treatment and whatever else they need, but it doesn't need to happen you know, on Venice Beach or on, a, a, you know, a, in, in, in Midtown Manhattan or, or in, in San Francisco, it can happen in cheap real estate way out in sticks somewhere where you can you can put them in tents or you can put them in abandoned army barracks and they can get all the treatment they need. I mean, uh, there's plenty of land in America. And there's, there's no reason that they need to be harassing um, working people in, in major cities. Um, but that gets to the other case in San Francisco, as I mentioned. I wrote about it on Zero Hedge today, which is um, there was a, a homeless, this one's actually transgender, transgender black vagrant was shoplifting in a Walgreens and he was accosted by the, the security guard and he went and he like pulled a knife on him or something and the security guard shot and killed him. So now they're calling to prosecute the security guard. I guess one reason this didn't get as much national attention is because the security guard was black too. But there's a, a left-wing city supervisor. He wanted to pass legislation that would prevent security guards from drawing their guns to protect property, even though in this case the guy was doing it to protect them himself. But he said human life is more important than property. And someone replied to him and said, well, if that's the case, that's 
you know, maybe the, the criminal should think about that before they risk their life to steal someone else's property. It's also just like, okay, well, if human life is more prop than property, then we just shouldn't have any laws at all. You know, then just everybody should just be free to take whatever they want, you know, and and their whole answer to that is, oh, well, but they're not gonna do that. Only if there's only going to be a few instances of it. And it's like, okay, look at San Francisco. Did that work out? Obviously not. Your city is destroyed. So great job. Um, But here's my question for you. Why? Why? Why is it that the prices in these places stay the real estate prices? They don't in New York City, they don't fill them with anything. They just sit there uh, in these empty storefronts. They're filled with vagrants, you know, destroying everything. How is it that the prices stay so high? It's starting to crack with the commercial real estate already. There was, uh, I think I remember seeing on Twitter that there was a building in Turtle Sam, Bay, which is, yeah. well, San Francisco too. Yeah, there was, I think, uh, the, was it Salesforce Tower or there was some other tower in San Francisco where the, the price dropped by like 80% or something. But something similar happened in New York and Turtle Bay, which is uh, where the UN is, that area. And um, there was another building that was selling for like 80% of its, or 80% less than its original purchase price or something. So as far as retail, uh, I haven't kept track of that. Um, I think at some point it's going to crack. I mean, it's just ridership is down on public transportation. I mean, uh, family friends of um, of my parents in the 70s when New York was a complete shithole, they bought a two-bedroom condo on the Upper West Side for like, I think like 10 grand or 15 grand or something like that. And uh, I mean, that would be worth, I think they sold it. They, they passed away and their children sold it for like seven figures. But yeah. Yeah, I think that'll happen again. If if things continue in this direction, I'm not sure they will. Maybe there'll be a breaking point first. But but I think the challenge you have in places like New York and Chicago is like democracy hasn't been a check on this because the people who would vote for law and order, a lot of them have left. And then the people who are sticking around, look who they just elected in San Francisco, in, in Chicago. In Chicago. They got rid of uh, like... Yeah, they got they got a guy who's even worse than the previous man. But isn't so. that mostly vote harvesting at this point? I mean, is that really real? Like, who actually voted for this guy? Like, who is sitting around actually voting for these people? Like, almost that, nobody. That's a great question. I, I know the answer. I, I think vote harvesting is definitely a big part of it. But, you know, that's, that's it's really like women. It's young women. It's basically, as we've seen, it's young single women who just completely put their foot on the scales and just shift it totally I, the other way. I, I think what may be happening is, I mean, in the past, you would get minorities in, to, to vote for, for, strict, for tougher crime policies. Like we mentioned with the whole uh, 1994 crime bill, you had the Black Congressional Caucus support it. I think what may have happened is that um, the establishment of the Democrats was so successful at promulgating this this nonsense about their oppressed racism and all this that maybe they legitimately think the police are out to get them so the less police the better even though it means more crime i mean that's a possibility but if that's what's going on i, I don't know how you fix it yeah they've taken all class complaint and they've perfectly matched it with racial division you know they they've like literally perfectly 
you know, you've seen those charts from 2008 where it's like in the media, how the usage of the word racism and like the usage of like, you know, racism and sexism and stuff. It's like 2008. Yeah. And then every publication is like triples in, since 2008, the amount of talking about race and talking yeah, about yeah. gender. And it's like, did we actually get more racist in that time? No, we just have this no. horribly evil media that has just completely made that the only thing they talk about ever. And it's because they want to keep it so that working class people are just blinded to the fact that their cities are destroyed, more or less. Yeah, I think they can no longer. You know, progressives used to be about about progress and a better future, and they can no longer offer that. And things are actually getting worse. So really, their only sales pitch is: at least you're not getting fascist. At least you're not getting, you know, Hitler two point Trump whatever. And and that's all they have. So it's it's unfortunate, but I think it opens up a way for you know, from a marketing perspective, political marketing perspective, to get votes, assuming they're counted, you know, above board and they aren't just harvested and fraud and subject to fraud. Right, right. Um, so what's going to happen from here on out? Uh, we can talk about with. So you know, I can tell you for sure that the way that these systems work inside these companies, <laughs> there's simply no way that they're going to stop woke marketing. You know, they're, they're going to have to keep doing it. So wh where do you see that? H how big of a deal was this Bud Light thing to financially to the global elites or the, the, the global companies? I'm not sure. I, I think, I think outside, do they really do this outside of the U.S.? Like, I mean, these are global companies, and I can't imagine in like the non-Western world they're pushing this stuff. I'd be surprised if they are. I haven't paid attention. Well, definitely not in the non-Western world, but I think they do yeah. it in Europe. Okay, I mean, Europe is kind of the same <laughs> ideological issues happening in, in the U.S. But to me, it just seems like bloggers are maybe the most fungible product out there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, li literally right behind the Starbucks, there's a local brewery. And they make, you know, the IPA bullshit too, but you can also get a lager. And yeah. I'm sure it's just as good as a Bud Light. I mean, it's, it seems like there's an opening for, um, for base marketers such as yourself to partner with a, with a larger kind of independent, I don't know, maybe a dingling or something like that and, and take market share from it. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, it seems like a massive opportunity. What, what do you make of the like ultra right beer, like these reactive products coming out? I'm sorry, the audio cut off, cut off a little bit. Say that again, like, please. have you seen like ultra right beer or, you know, kind of like black rifle coffee, like these reactive, they're basically just white label products that are, you know. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I think that's a problem too, because who's that guy? Is it the guy from the Daily Wire or one of these places? He did some, Jeremy or something. Yeah. He yeah did yeah, something yeah. with the razors. I don't think people want like just drop ship nonsense. Put some, put some effort to the brand. I mean, yeah. it used to be in the past, it's not just marketing. There should be, I mean, advertising in the old days would be, they get really good products and they would sit down with them and they would like come up with new angles of what was great about them. I think Steve Saylor talked about this once with like the Volkswagen people, where like the old advertising guys were driving one and they saw these cool things about how it was manufactured and all the little little uh, features it had and, and they sold them. You know, um, if you just say, hey, this is the right wing and it's like a crappy product, that just makes the right wing look bad. So... 
I think the best case is to find a good product and then to give it the base market. Yeah, right. And and base marketing doesn't even have to mean right wing marketing. That's the thing. It's like we just have to get back to marketing products as they are. And it's you just put so... attractive women in the ads. That would be based at this point. I mean, that's what these exactly. branches do. Right. I mean, so is there anything to be said then for them trying to do something differently? You know, like what, what if they're sitting around being like, well, you know, we've had attractive women for X amount of time. Like, isn't it time that we gave it to the to the uglies? I don't think so. I think I think it should be aspiration. You know, I mean, um, Peloton recently hired like a heavy set uh, African American woman as a um, as a rowing instructor. I, I thought that was not a good idea, just from the aspiration thing. And then I, I think uh, I think I'm going to mention on Twitter, and someone's like. Well, you know, you're fat. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I don't want to see someone like me when I'm doing Peloton, you know? <laughs> I do it. I, I, I like to look at, like, um, something aspirational. Right. I want to get less fat. I don't want to see someone that's just doing the same thing and looks like me. You know, that's, you want something that looks better. So I, I really don't see any financial benefit to doing that. I don't know why they do this. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's just... Yeah, I think that most people just aren't really focused too much on it. And so it's like, that's why Bud Light was the perfect thing for the example that you just said, which is that lager is so fungible. And people just have this very narrow purchase decision where they're like in the store and they have three of them that are identical in front of them. So it's a little, yeah. You can market to to like the you know, the non, like the fat people, for example, in a way that doesn't use fat people. I'll give you two examples. Uh, like one's current and one's in the past, like 1990 or something. Right. When, I think it was Levi's came out with relaxed fit jeans, they didn't show, I mean, relaxed jeans are for like guys like me, they need more room in the jeans. Um, they didn't show guys like me in the ads. What they did with is they showed like these ripped guys who were doing cartwheels on a beach shirtless. And the idea was they need relaxed fit jeans because they're doing cartwheels. Not because like sure, not because they're uh, they're they're overweight. So uh, another example is um, they've they've got shoes that are like you can just put them on without uh without tying laces. Which again, if you're overweight or you have like you know back problems or something, it's it's easy to just step on. I, I use these kind of shoes, except for my lifting shoes where I got to tie this the laces, and that's like the hardest part of my workout. Um, I, I can't it's not the hardest, but it's anyway. So there's a commercial for this brand. And they don't have like the fat guy, like, oh, I can't, you know, put these shoes on. They have Tony Romo. And he's like, he's busy. Although, to be honest, he probably does have back problems. I think he got a serious back injury when he was in the NFL. But the point is they're using like athletes, they're using fit people to sell something that's going to be used by people who aren't necessarily as fit. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. No, like and that's always, and that's always how non, Right. You know. Still there, Isaac? I yeah, yeah, another, sorry. Uh, you just cut, you cut off for video. one second. But keep going. Whoop. Looks like your, your video froze. There you are. No, you're you're here. The internet connection is unstable. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you can, I mean, you, you can market more broadly while still being aspirational without, it doesn't require being 
inclusive marketing in terms of selling stuff doesn't require inclusive um, models. Exactly. Like, exactly. You're going to okay. get people. Yeah. And because that's not their point. Their, their, their point, again, it has nothing to do with the product. It doesn't have to do with selling the product. That's not why they're doing this. It's it's such a LARP. It's so fake to think that the reason that they're doing this is because they think it's going to sell more products. If that was the case, it wouldn't exactly mirror the woke takeover of Hollywood, right? It's yeah. like... No, I mean, those, those things are losing money too, right? I mean, there's got to be... like. I was thinking for, um, I mean, one of the least woke parts of Hollywood, I guess, has been the Christmas movies. But even there, it's starting to, to, to kind of break again, where you have like, there's a gay one recently, but like the Hallmark movies, that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. You, you could film that kind of thing in Eastern Europe, I would think, or Russia, get, get people that know English or how to do it phonetically, beautiful landscapes, and you could probably do it for a fraction of the cost. And I think it would do well. I don't know why they don't do that. You mean movie-wise? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think this is what's what's happening. I mean, I think we're we're just faced with a situation where it's interesting because you know, in the Chinese Cultural Revolution, <clears throat> that's basically what's happening, right? But in the Chinese Cultural Revolution, you had one party and you didn't have capitalism, so it's like it was so much more impossible to create your own other thing. Whereas now, like ostensibly you can do these things, right? Yeah. There's really no reason why you can't put, you know, a hot woman on a billboard and say, you know, drink this thing instead. Right. I mean, you, you should totally be allowed to do that, but it seems to be so difficult. It seems to be so hard for people to do it, even though it's so obvious that that's what people want. Well, you mentioned China. I mean, they have one party now, but aesthetically, they're, I mean, they're, they're kind of ace when it comes to that. You look at like uh, like Chinese movies, like, like 2046 or something, they're not putting, I mean, you compare them to the, the, the Asian actresses that go in some Hollywood movies. Like uh, Rose, what's her name? That's in that Star Wars retread. They had yeah. that overweight. Uh, I don't know what she was. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. She's not going to be in any Chinese uh, mood. No. I mean, similarly, um, if you if you watch MMA, like the, the the Chinese women who compete there, I just won money on one of them. Uh, like last week, the week before, they are not the Chinese women that are going to appear in the cartoon. You know, they're not. They're going for aesthetics. This week. They're not going for accuracy. These are like real peasant faced. Yeah kind of tough looking broads <laughs> and then you get, you know, you get like the models and stuff and the, uh, and the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, let's talk a little bit more about zero hedge. So what is, uh, do you know, like what the plan is for that publication? Like, is it, uh, is it planning on growing? Is it happy where it is? Like, what does most of its revenue come from? Do you know anything about it? Yeah, good questions. I, I'll just tell you what I know. Nothing really secret information. I think initially all the revenue was from advertising. And then a few years ago, they came up with zero hedge premium. And that gives you access to articles, more in-depth articles that you don't see normal. And as a contributor, I, I get the premium. That's the stuff where, like, if they tweet it and you click on it, it says this stuff is so good, it's only the premium. And then I think there's a level above that where it's like professional, and that's like real in depth Wall Street stuff. 
And then they also have a product, or I'm not sure if they own it or they're partnered with it or something. It's called Spot Gamma, which is like a, a high-level options service. And that, I think, is like a few hundred dollars a month or something. So they, they have other ways to make money. I, I assume they're doing well. I have no idea, but I assume they're doing well. I don't know what other future plans they have. Do you know how hard it is to make money on programmatic ads? Like for somebody like Zero Hedge, do you know what kind of traffic you need in order to, because it seems like it's a totally dead way to make money. It seems like it's impossible. Like basically you can fund like two salaries if you have a million hits. I I, I don't know, to be honest. I I imagine it's difficult. Um, I know that when I've tried advertising in the past, it just, it, it didn't seem like, at least in my niche, it didn't seem like it was profitable to do it all. So you've tried programmatic? You mean like Google ads, that kind of thing? No, like ads on your site. Oh, uh, no. Um, I mean, that's what you were saying, how Zero Hedge made money, right? Was ads on the site. Yeah, they still have ads. If you click on an article, there's a interstitial ad, and yeah. they have ads within it. Yeah, that, that was their initial way to make money. Um, but I think they're like a... I don't know offhand, but I think if you look at like the most visited websites, I think they might be in the top twenty or something like that. Like they're they're pretty, they get a lot of traffic. But then they added premium recently, and they also added uh, the other service I mentioned. So I think they're getting money from that, which probably makes them less dependent on the ads. Um, but currently, yeah, the portfolio on the website doesn't have ads. I just got a sponsor on the portfolio on Substack actually, which is kind of cool. It's a sponsor that ties in with what we're doing. It's uh. A couple of guys started a firm out of Chicago, like they're they're veterans of the Chicago Board Options Exchange, which is like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they're they're big deal. This guy's got a PhD and a CFA, and uh, so I put a little thing under my post where if they want to do these option strategies, like these guys with like fifty years of experience, each will walk them through it, and uh, it seems like a cool deal. And they've got some algorithms that make their stuff apparently get you better exits, that kind of thing. My grandfather actually was one of the first people. He like was one of the regulators on the first option exchange in Chicago. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the whole thing in my scene now is, is you know all these big creators, all these big anonymous guys. Yeah. They they have these massive followings, right? They have these massive amounts of clicks and followers and everything like that. But for the most part, all of that is going unmonetized. So. Yeah. They're not doing affiliate links. I mean, you had some really good ideas about affiliate links, like micro affiliate links. Like anytime you're talking about anything, you can get a link in there and and have some sort of affiliate. Well, we were talking uh, about that fellow that you knew who wrote that great thread about insomnia. And then he mentioned uh, Purple Mattress. He didn't have an affiliate thing. He's probably not getting any money from Purple. Right. I actually use a Purple Mattress myself. So he could have gotten some business from it. But... Do you, do you listen to uh, to Bap's podcast? Yeah, of course. Okay, you, you know I think it was the the most recent one, one thirty five, when he talked about Tucker. He he kind of mentioned what you said that we've got all these people doing really good stuff, and that Tucker could start a network and he could he could hire these people, or you know they could have their own shows, which I think is kind of true. Um, but now Tucker's coming to Twitter. Maybe there's room for that. Like I I, I was going to do a thread about this, and I kind of like I got distracted, but I was thinking like. You could have Steve Saylor to have like a little thing. It could be like the uh, the 1350 report, like it comes on at like 1.50 in the afternoon. And then he just does like the, the crime blotter nationally and he points out some statistics and laughs about it. Um, 
but you know something like 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 BAP and and uh, Second City Bureaucrat. I mean, these guys are really unique in that they're, they're erudite and they're also fun. Yeah, that's it's a funny story. is is very yeah. important. You got to be funny. Well, I, I sent a DM to the BAP after I listened to the second part of his Homer one. Like I was driving to my mother; she was about an hour away, and I was listening to uh, his his post on on, on Homer's Iliad, and I was really blown away. I told him, I was like, you know, there's I can only think of like a few broadcasters off the top of my head who can do the high level scholarly literary kind of thing, and then also be entertain at the popular level. Yeah. And it's Mark Stein, Michael Savage, and that. I mean, that, that's a rare company. So maybe there's others I'm not familiar with, but it's just really rare. And yeah, uh, see, I, I don't like, even you know, know who those two other guys are, to be honest. Savage used to, he's kind of a guy, I think he was first off the radio. He was based in San Francisco. And he had like a daytime nationally syndicated uh, talk radio show. And then I think they kind of forced him off. And now he's like doing podcasts or something. Interestingly, his son is a billionaire. He he came up with, uh, I think, Rockstar Energy or one of those energy drinks. Michael Savage? Yeah. Isn't he gay? I thought he was gay. Oh, no, he's not gay. He might be messing up with someone else. I'm definitely he's... mixing him up with someone Yeah, yeah. Michael House Savage. Janet Weiner. Even yeah, his, his his name his real name is Wiener. He was um, I think he started out some kind of hippie dude who got like a PhD in some kind of uh, botany or something like this and traveled around the world. And then he got into politics and the and the political stuff. Huh? And, and where is he? Where where does he? Yeah, he's, ba- he's based in San Francisco, but he had a nationally syndicated uh, radio show, and I think they, like I said, I think they forced him off. Jeez, forty four books. Um. Yeah. Okay. He was also one of the first guys to to uh, to back Trump. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. Um. No, I totally agree with with Bap. Of course, Bap is a total uh, yeah. total hero. Um. And, and he does the high low stuff. I mean, this is the stuff yeah. I can't. Like, yeah, he he has all this stuff on these esoteric philosophers that to me is just like yeah, yeah. You know, and Mark Stein is a guy who um. He he's like. Like an encyclopedic knowledge of 20th century music, like yeah, <laughs> stuff. Uh, if no, he is. And but at the same time, and he's like, I remember a column where he was talking about Queen Elizabeth, and he was like talking about this early 20th century German novel, Rodetsky's March. He has all these kind of literary references you can put in stuff. And he he also was the most popular guest host on uh, on Rust, so he's able to like entertain guys that you know putting up drywall for a living. So that yeah. that's a rare kind of thing. Right. I, I don't know. I mean, like, right. Yeah. So the, here's what I'll say. If you if you're looking to write a thread on this, this is what I'm really curious about. And this is what I'm working on. Sure. So <clears throat> all these guys, they have all the this traffic. A lot yeah. of them are super academic. They're 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 not thinking about it like attention as, you know, oil as like an asset. They're they're perfectly willing to let all this attention to not go anywhere, basically. So say that you were to put all of this traffic in one place, right? Like imagine that it was like an email, for example, like say it was based weekly, right? Okay. And you have this email that's based weekly and uh, you know, what do you, do you say you were to put some sort of programmatic ads or affiliate ads on there to to based products or even, even just to like Birch gold, whatever, whatever these, you know, right wing things normally sell when I've seen what these programmatic ads pay back, it's like nothing. It's like, well, there's I, no way to make money on that because or it, I think there is ultimately a way, but, 
but how would you make money? Say that you were to get all of BAP followers, all of Raw Eggs followers, all of you know, second city bureaucrats followers, say all of those people were to voluntarily sign up for some email that was just like the buy shit, the based buy shit email. What would the numbers have to look like in order to make that basically a media company, right? Like how would you line up a backbone into that whole thing to make it make sense? Because, you know, like Babylon B, they do affiliate, they do all kinds of ad stuff. But like, what do those numbers look like? Like how much traffic do they have to get in order for that to make any real sense? Well, I mean, here's one thing I'm thinking of. If you dealt with real high quality, high margin products, you could probably make some money with that, with the affiliate thing. Like for example, in uh, in our, our sphere, there's like a lot of, uh, you know, talk about nutrition, lifting, that kind of thing. A great affiliate there would be Vitamix. I mean, they sell like, I have one, I use it like uh, like every other day. I think they, I don't know what they go for new. I think I got the refurbished one, like 500 bucks. So it's a pretty expensive blender, but it's it's like the best out there. So any any kind of shake that someone like, like I was thinking one of the people that could be in, uh, like if they were like a Tucker network, like Bap was talking about, like maybe Solbra, you know, something like, or, or even his stuff. He seems really successful. He's got his own clothing line and he's got like some supplements and that kind of thing. I don't know how much margin there is in glycine, but there's probably some good margin in clothing stuff. Um, but if you could maybe not just have like an ad, but why not like work it in editorially in a non-bullshit kind of way? Yeah. Like like yeah. BAP is having, I'm sure BAP is doing protein shakes anyway. You could just put in a Vitamix link in there and he could talk about what he's making. And then, uh, you know, hey, I'm doing this for Vitamix. And by the way, if you get a Vitamix to us, you can help support our thing. But how do we do it as a, so right, of course, any of these guys could make brand deals if they wanted to, right? And there's just not that, and and trust me, this is something I'm working on all the day, all all day, is the number of based brands out there is just not, it's it's very undeveloped. It's still very, very undeveloped. Um, But I don't even know if Vitamix is based. Yeah, right. I'm just saying maybe politically neutral. You don't even need this. You just need politically neutral. You need people that are are not going to just exclude you. And then you can make money. Well, right. But somebody like BAP is so, I mean, think about the stuff he's saying on there. Like it is so ultra. Well, he's making know. money directly like DTC. He's making money. Exactly. Uh, but but I'm saying anybody's okay with that, but, but placing a brand in that network, what would be so much smarter to do is take all of his followers, put them in a, in a separate, like, email right a separate area alongside everybody else's followers that are in his space and just hit that list with with all kinds of different like based ish products and then the brands don't have to worry about brand safety because they're not right next to bap right they're just like one removed and all and all bap has to shill is the link to the based weekly whatever it is you know what i mean I mean, it's okay. basically just creating a media company. It's just creating a media company in reverse. It's like dealing with the the ad, the, the ad money first and then building a thing on top of it, I guess, if that makes yeah, sense. That, that could work, but I would say, I think what you want to do in addition to that is really limit it to high quality brands. Because otherwise, I think it just, it, you know, you're talking about blowback on the brands, but there's blowback from the brands on you. Like I saw, I was at my mother's and she had... Um, like one of those non-Fox networks on, I think it was uh, Newsmax or something like this. 
and then there was a like a, a commercial or something with Steve Bannon where he was pushing some gold coins or some shit like that. And I'm like, this just doesn't look good for Steve Bannon. Yeah. Not that, you know, gold, there's nothing wrong with gold. It's just, it's got an association, those kind of things. Totally. Kind of like, yeah, it's just. No, I totally agree. Like, that's why we need this. Now, if it were something like portfolio armor, that might class it up a little bit. You were talking about, here's a, here's a way you can hedge your stuff and it's not chilling gold or anything. Yeah, exactly. Although I think portfolio armor, you, you could use a, a, your brand. You need a brand refresh. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Uh, we have to hire you for that. Let's see. We're 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 available. Will is available. Okay. No, just kidding. All right. Um, all right. Well, uh, we'll we'll obviously put the links to Portfolio Armor in here, and and the links to you and Zero Hedge. I love your column on there. I think it's it's uh, it's just so refreshing to see that, and I love that you get like top placement all the time. It's it's I got yeah. so many signups from your from your stuff. Yeah. I'll just put it out there. If anyone else um you know has anything they think might be interesting. Uh, DM me and I'll be happy to, you know, if it fits, I'll be happy to put it up there. It, it helps me. I can throw a little thing at the end about my nonsense. Um, but someone else that I got a DM from uh, MythPilot, he had a pretty yeah. good piece on, uh, on to- it was called Total Nuclear Death, yeah. which is like the perfect headline for Zero Hedge. I think that thing got like 50,000 pages. Oh, nice. You did put yeah. it up. No, that's yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they totally love the Doomer stuff. So particularly any Doomer stuff, give it right to me. I'll be happy to put it up there for you. Oh, that's sometimes great. I'll, Sometimes I'm not even do I'm not doomer enough for these guys. Like I had a post, uh, I think it was last week, where I did one of these earnings trades, and like the the company came out with news after hours, and, and it made the trade. It was going to work the next day, and I was like, it feels like Christmas Eve, you know. And it's like, uh, you guys are all talking about everything's going to collapse, but while you're waiting for things to collapse, maybe you can make some money. That's what I look forward to next day. So, wait, so you put up, <clears throat> you you just like reprinted it under the portfolio armor thing on zero hedge you just like redid well, it no way like, is... like i i introduced it i just said and i put right above it i said authored by myth pilot oh, i wrote a few paragraphs like yeah. talking about it. you can i'll sing it like i never just take credit for it no i, I put no no i know i i wouldn't think and you i would. actually I'm didn't put wondering, the, like how you did it exactly this thing was really long too so i didn't put the whole thing up there but i put like you know with what's going on in ukraine etc others were kind of tiptoeing uh, at risk of nuclear war. Oh yeah, look at that. Total nuclear death. It's right there. Oh, that's great. Yeah, there you go. You and then you can see uh, and then I like you can read the whole thing here or something like that. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, cool. All right. Well, yeah, man. Uh thank you so much for joining. Um oh, oh I see. It. So you kind of set it up. Wait, I'm trying to see like what you do here. For the I'm looking at uh total nuclear death. Total nuclear death. I think you, you just say it in the end. Oh, read the rest here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. I think uh, I put like a thousand words in this thing there. Like it was really, I don't want to put the whole thing because it was yeah. just long. I oh, also nice. wanted him to get traffic to his yeah. Substack too. No, he's great. I, I love, I love him. Sure. Um, <clears throat> cool, man. Well, yeah, we'll put the links in there, and uh, yeah, stay in touch. This was great. Yes. Yeah, Here, good talking right, to you. Man. See ya.